0: Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. So how do we decide who we vote for in major elections? It all comes down to the pollsters. It's who they ask, what they ask them, and then what we are told about how people feel that is an incredibly influential mechanism in American politics and culture. One of the people who has worked as a pollster, as a political consultant, as a political advisor, For the last 40 years, is none other than Doug Schoen, also known by his nom de plume, Douglas E. Schoen. He has a brand new book out called Power, the 50 Truths, the Definitive Insider's Guide. Douglas E. Schoen, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World.
1: Kennedy, thank you for a very kind uh, introduction.
0: I really have enjoyed your book because as I read it and I read about the people that you have consulted, that you have talked to, that you have worked as a pollster for, uh, it becomes very apparent who you like and who you admire and to whom you are giving advice. And I think that becomes very apparent. You have a chapter in there about Bill Clinton and how... He was such a gifted politician and, and such a truly empathetic person that he could look at anyone and they would feel as though he was listening directly to them and he was gazing into their soul. Contrast that with his wife, Hillary Clinton, who, by her own admission in your book, didn't have the same kind of political instincts, and was never really able to carve out her own identity. Do you like Bill Clinton more than Hillary Clinton?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, I have respect for Hillary Clinton as a public servant. I think she was always committed to doing what she thought was right, whether it be as senator or secretary of state or even as an advocate But in terms of empathy, compassion, concern and respect, Bill Clinton is somebody who motivated me to do everything I could to get him reelected proudly and happily. I am very pleased that I was not involved in Secretary Clinton's campaigns. Why not? Because I did not feel any of that empathy, that compassion, that concern from her or towards her that is necessary to motivate the degree of commitment that is involved in working on a 24-7 presidential campaign.
0: So one of your chapters is You Are Not Entitled, and that's part one of the book, Know Yourself, from the Oracle at Delphi, um, which obviously is incredibly powerful and axiomatic for a politician. Um, You know, you, you talk about... A lesser known New York City councilman, uh, Carter Burton, and how he grew up so rich and so entitled that he thought that he could put himself on a fast track to the White House uh, from the time he was 30 years old. Very interesting story. Uh, Hillary Clinton almost has the same strain of entitlement, you know, by association with her husband, the fact that, you know, she also was a successful lawyer. She felt entitled to some power as well, but people tend to vote for people that they identify with, not who they owe their vote to.
1: I think that that is a fair statement, Kennedy. With Bill Clinton, you wanted, as I said, to help him and to provide as much assistance as possible. With Secretary Clinton watching her and evaluating her, my attitude was, Uh, This is not a process I feel comfortable being part of. This is not a person who I feel deserves the time and attention that a presidential campaign commitment entails.
0: And what kind of people did she surround herself with?
1: Well, she did have, to be fair to her, uh, a series of uh, and a group of people who were longtime loyalists, many of whom, not all, were women, uh, middle-aged or a bit older, who identified with her struggle uh, as a professional woman in the 60s and 70s. And I understood that. I just did not feel that degree of empathy, that degree of concern. And in my conversations with her, never felt that she was relating to me as an individual.
0: But you did work with Donald Trump in the late 80s when he was mulling a run for president back then. That was before The Apprentice. He was certainly well known on the East Coast and in New York and New York City specifically. But uh, and, you know, he had already been tabloid fodder with his wives, but he was he was not a mainstay in American politics, certainly. Back then when you talked to him, did you think with some experience and exposure that he could realistically mount a winning bid for the presidency?
1: You know, that's a great question, Kennedy. And when I walked out of his office with a check to pay for the first poll he did and that I did for him to evaluate his presidential chances, I never in my wildest dreams thought that he would be elected president, or frankly, even that he would ever run for president. I thought it was something that was fanciful. I didn't think that conditions would be right. But uh, look what I know. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong.
0: But you contrast that with Michael Bloomberg. And, you know, this is another chapter in your book where I think you really like Michael Bloomberg and, and he was your kind of politician because since he was already a billionaire he really wasn't beholden to any special interests. He had enough money. He didn't have to grovel and compromise himself to the corrupt structures that make up presidential politics and, you know, certainly not as mayor of New York City. Um, Do you think that the country is worse off because Michael Bloomberg was not president?
1: Well, I certainly do. And you're right. I do have great admiration and respect for Mike Bloomberg. Uh, we are at least initially from similar backgrounds. He's obviously had far more success than I could ever imagine myself having. But I see him as somebody who has worked and strived and succeeded. And, you know, at the time, I looked at Trump and I saw his ability to communicate. I saw when I went with him to the casinos in Atlantic City people reaching out to touch him and to identify with him. But I never thought that that would translate into the 2016 presidency at the same time that since I first met Michael Bloomberg, I hoped he would have, as he has had, an enhanced uh, impact on our local and national political culture.
0: Yeah, and he seems to be someone who wanted to leave the world and leave his politics in a better place than where he found it. You know, there was a a great deal of philanthropy and service in his personal philosophy. So if you're looking at, you know, ideal candidates for 2024 in either party, you know, that embody some of the characteristics that you define in your book, Power the 50 Truths, the Definitive Insider's Guide, because you worked with people from all sorts of political stripes in different countries at different eras in our political history. So who do you see in 2024 sort of embodying the things that you outline as being necessary?
1: Well, as you were asking the question, I was thinking, and while it's not either appropriate or polite to remain silent, as I look at a race between Biden and Trump, potentially, I do not see either of them embodying the values and record of success that at least I believe it's important uh, to have. Uh, uh, Michael Bloomberg will not run. I think Joe Biden's likely to be the nominee. Should he run?
0: I don't think Uh, he should run. I really don't for a number of reasons. I
1: understand. And many, many Democrats agree with you. The problem is, as a party, we don't really have anyone who is stronger or better or more credible. And on the Republican side, Ron DeSantis remains an unproven entity. Trump has obvious flaws. Nikki Haley has announced it's hard to see her getting the nomination, But I I look at that election, Kennedy. I wish I could tell you I'm optimistic about it. As I sit here today, I'm deeply pessimistic.
0: All right. We got more of this interview after this.
1: Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today.
0: A lot can change between now That's and true. next year. And you never know who's going to drop out of a race. You never That's know, true. you know, if there's a dark horse like Bill Clinton was in 1992. And I don't think there were a lot of people in either side of the establishment that saw him as being a legitimate threat to a. a, a potential second term president who was very popular at the beginning of his first term. So Yeah, I
1: I would go so far as to say, well, Bill Clinton was certainly an outsider with a long shot chance. Barack Obama, similarly, in 2008, was a long shot. Donald Trump was a long shot. And you're profoundly correct. Uh, In politics, you never say never. You never rule anyone in or out. But as I look at the landscape, it's hard to see anyone emerging who would be a figure like Trump or Hillary. I'm sorry, uh, Obama or Bill Clinton was uh, in their respective uh, initial campaigns.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's why I was surprised that Joe Biden won, because um, Trump was a lightning rod. Love him or hate him, he was a transformational figure, and he got everybody talking about politics, and he he really did bring out the worst in people in terms of political disagreements, but he was one of those rare, once-in-a-generation transformative politicians, and I would put Barack Obama in that category. I would put Bill Clinton in that category. I would put Ronald Reagan in that category. And, you know, I think a lot of the other presidents were just a reaction to what was going on. They were not necessarily transformational. Um, And... I don't think it, it it's going to take someone entirely transformational to unseat Joe Biden. I think that his administration has been faced with a lot of challenges that were not of his making, but in some of the choices and the reactions that he and those around him have had, they haven't made the best choices. They haven't made the best case to the American public. And I think weighing the notion that he will be 86 years old at the end of his second term, I don't think, you know, the idea of him not aging well uh, really brings a lot of confidence to voters.
1: Look, I wish I could disagree with you, Kennedy, but I don't. And I don't believe that Joe Biden was transformational. I believe that he was, to use your words, a reaction to what people saw as the excesses of the Trump Uh, administration and uh, a reaction to the um, circumstances created by the pandemic. Now, I also believe Trump, had he campaigned a little differently, shown more empathy um, and demonstrated more of a desire to bring the country together, would have almost certainly been reelected. But having not, not done that, Biden who pledged to unify America narrowly, and I underscore narrowly, won a victory in 2020. But uh, again, what I tell people about people like Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump, particularly even Trump, is you want activism in America, you want citizen uh, participation. Both Reagan and certainly Trump did do it. You may or may not like what they stood for or how they did it, But fundamentally, both brought a cadre of people to activism in the way that uh, Bill Clinton to a lesser extent and Barack Obama to a greater extent were able to do.
0: Yes. And it's interesting because people who follow in the footsteps of those politicians, they assume that that coalition is going to stay together. And that's not what happens. You know, there there is so much dynamism in terms of Issues, what happens, how people vote, how they react and, you know, what they hold on so dearly to in one election cycle may change completely based on where they are in their lives, where the economy is, whether or not they're employed in the next cycle. But it's it's really interesting. You do touch on Bernie Sanders and a lot of people on the right like to dismiss him. But you cannot deny that he had incremental gains uh, throughout his political career, which a lot of people downplay. A lot of people think that the long game is played by driving the ball. But it's really, you know, you drive for show, you putt for dough. And that's what Bernie Sanders did. You know, he mastered his short game. He mastered incremental politics and somehow became a folk hero to younger leftists.
1: Yeah, I I think, again, that's a very profound statement, Kennedy. I disagree with him. I know on many issues you would disagree vehemently with Bernie Sanders. But it's hard to argue that a guy who started giving out flyers uh, in Burlington, Vermont, uh, was elected a mayor and then a member of Congress and then a senator, uh, basically with shoe leather, nothing more, became a tribute for the left and for activism and in a lot of ways appealed to a similar sense of uh, outrage and dislocation that the Trump voters felt. Now, for the Sanders people, their reaction was, redistribution and left-wing politics. For the Trump voters, it may well have been control on immigration and restrictions on big government. But fundamentally, there was a sense in both their constituencies that something was missing in America and in American political life. And both Trump in one way, Sanders in his way, spoke directly to what was absent in our political life.
0: Well, there is so much in this book, so when people read it, uh, they will recognize the good, the bad, and the ugly in politicians at home and abroad, and some of the conversations and insight that you recount in your latest book, really helpful, really useful, and for people uh, who follow politics, they will recognize these character traits and also recognize what they should be looking for in future politicians. So, Doug Shone, thank you so much for writing the book, and thank you for being a part of this podcast.
1: Kennedy, thank you for having me. Thank you for your prescient comments and your very, very kind assessment of my work.
0: Baby, it is the least I can do. Doug well, Schoen it's, it's is a legend. greatly
1: appreciated.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. For more podcasts from my friends at Fox, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network.